Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Tzadi Tess. I'm going to start from the Gomorrah at the bottom of Tzadi Ches Amud Beis, 98b. Um, today's Shizli Lunishmas, Ben Sion, Ben Zeev, Avram Halevi, and... Sorry, second... And Yehuda Leib Ben Ephraim. May the Neshamas have an Ali and may the memory be a blessing. And um, yeah, so just to, we'll finish off this, the ninth Perek of Tzachim, and then we'll start the new one today. Um, so the Mishnah, as you can see, it's quite a long Mishnah, starting quite up the page, but just in short, there were two main points to the Mishnah. The first point was a discussion, again, four permutations, which made the Mishnah so long. The first point was, if a gr- you had a group of people who had a Korban Pesach, and they lost their Korban Pesach, and one of the group went to find the Korban Pesach. So the first permutation is they asked him to find the Korban Pesach and shecht it on their behalf. So he's their shliach to shecht the Korban Pesach on their behalf. The remaining people of the group subsequently went and shechted their own Korban Pesach. And which one can they eat from? Because remember, you have to be registered to the Korban Pesach. So if the individual who they asked to go find the Korban Pesach on their behalf shechted the Korban Pesach first, well then they can eat from his Korban. Obviously, he can't eat from their, um, their... Then everyone would eat from the first korban and the second one would be burnt. If they shechted the second one first, then he would eat from his that he went and shechted. They withdrew from that one, from asking him to shecht on their behalf, so they would eat theirs second. And the, the difficult case is what happens if they're not sure. So he can obviously eat from his because he had withdrawn from theirs and he went to Shecht his own. But they can't eat from any Korban Pesach because maybe they were Shecht, maybe that one was Shecht on his behalf or maybe this one was Shecht on his behalf. That was the first uh, possibility. The second possibility is if, again, this guy, he went to look for the Korban Pesach and he told them if he's later and tell him to go look for it. He just decided on his own uh, volition to go look for it and he told them if I lose it, if, sorry, if I'm late, shecht on my behalf. So now when they shecht the Korban Pesach, it can be if they shecht it first, it's their agent for him. So obviously, again, if he shechts first, then he'll eat from his, they'll eat from theirs. If they shecht first, he'll, they'll all eat from that one that they shechted first. If they're not sure, well, then they can eat from theirs because they never made him a shliach. So this that he went and shechted the Korban Pesach doesn't affect them. But, but he can't eat any Korban Pesach because which one should he uh, eat? That's the second permutation. And now the third permutation, the third and the fourth permutation are going to be what's essential for us to understand the Mishnah. Um, uh, what the Gemara is going to go on is what happens if he said to them, if I'm delayed, shech the Korban Pesach for me. And they said to him, if you find it, shech on behalf of us. So they've each made that group. The group who sent this, basically sent this guy to find the Korban Pesach and shecht it for them. And he told them, well, if he's late, then you be my agents and join me in your group when you shecht another Korban Pesach. The, obviously, they'll all eat from whichever one is shechted first, whoever fulfills the agency first. But if they're not sure, then now the Korban Pesach can be eaten. They can't eat from his because maybe theirs was shechted first, and that's the one that they were registered to. All of it. And none can eat, no one can eat from theirs because maybe they shechted first, 
and him, and then that's the one that, sorry, maybe he shattered first, and they were all registered to that one. So that's the third case of permutation in the Mishnah. That's the one, that's one that's important to us. Again, if he said, if I delay shecht for me, and they said, okay, but if you find the Koban Pesach shecht on our behalf, because then they are shliach on each other. And then the fourth permutation, also important for us, is no one said anything. There were, as a group of people, one of them decided on his own choice to go look for the Koban Pesach and shecht it, and they didn't discuss it with him, and he decided, and, the, and he didn't ask them to do anything for him, and they went and shecht their own Koban Pesach. So, there, neither group has any binding responsibility on the other, and therefore, he will be required to shecht it. Therefore, when they each shecht their own Koban Pesach, it doesn't affect the other group. Okay, Tonra Bonham. So the Gemara says regarding this, so again, the third case is Omalahem for Omrullah. They each made each other a shliach. It says, Then they eat from the first one. The second, the fourth case was, Now the group made each other a shliach on their behalf. They have no responsibility to each other. So therefore, whichever one gets shechted first, it doesn't matter. The one who shechts the group gets to eat from theirs and he gets to eat from his. We see silence is better for the wise and definitely for the fools. Shinemar is the says, A fool who is silent will be considered wise. I know, uh, so just, just before we discuss this line, to tie it back into the Gemara, because remember, if they make him a shliach for them, and he makes them a shliach for him, then you run into trouble if you're not sure which Koban Pesach was shechted first. But if he was shech, but if they were all silent, then they each get to eat their Koban Pesach, and him shechting his own Koban Pesach, and then shechting their own Koban Pesach, doesn't affect anyone, everyone will be able to eat a Koban Pesach. So just a few points, one is, we know how difficult fools, uh, it's, it often seems, I guess everyone seems, I guess everyone thinks what they're saying was, but it often seems that fools have very strong and very verbal opinions, so that's what, but even a fool, if he would remain silent, he might be considered wise. And this is brought, I mean, this is brought as good character trait. The Rambam in Hilkos Deus, Perik Beis Halacha Beis, brings this point and many others. Sorry, Perik Beis Halacha Dalet. It says, A person should increases silence. He shouldn't just speak, and he should only speak either when he's discussing things of wisdom or things that are necessary for his uh, existence. They said about Rav, the famous Amor in the Gemara, was a Talmud of Rabbeinu Akadosh, that's Rabbi Yudha Nossi, the author of the Mishnah. This is his whole life, he never said any unnecessary words. And he says, which is actually what most people talk about most of the time. If you add up all the words that people have said, the majority of it is totally unnecessary. And even for the what a person is is necessary, keep it short. Okay, and he carries on. Um, he says, If you speak too much, you come to sin. There's so uh, Obviously, people don't necessarily mean it, but the more you talk and the more you need to talk, you end up... Uh, Gossiping, etc., and it can lead to lead to quite serious avarice. For Amr Lomotsasi, and we said in and says in Avos Lomotsasi Lekuf Tov Eloshtika, the most beneficial thing I found for me is silence. The Chayim the Dibrei Torah the Dibrei Chochma Yud Vorim 
When a person is speaking, he should include, he should say a few words and it should include a lot. I'm not going to finish that loch inside, but that's what we saw at the beginning of the, of the Masechta, that a person, when he's teaching, he should teach in a concise way and include a lot in what he says. And that's often very much what we praise the Rishonim. We say every single word when you're reading a Rashi. We're reading a Tosfos, every single word is a pearl because they were so careful to teach in a concise way and include a lot in a little bit. And therefore, if you weigh up everything they say, when you have the regular people who just go on and on and blabber, well then you can't put a value to everything they say. So that's the advantage. I mean, they bring it out from the halacha. We see a practical ramification. Sometimes to say less you end up in a far better situation, even la halacha, practically. Okay, let's finish. Then we mentioned the next part of the Mishnah was discussing if two carbon Pesachs got mixed up. Now again, the problem with that is we know you can only eat from a carbon Pesach that you are registered to. So if let's say me and you got our carbon Pesach mixed up, I can't eat from yours and you can't eat from mine because... We're not registered to each other. So what do you do if they get mixed up? That was what the last point of the Mishnah, that, that's the second half of the Mishnah discusses. So he says, It seems our Mishnah does not fit in with Rabbi Yehuda. Now why? Because our Mishnah said, we'll see, the Tanya, as we learned in Abraisa, If there are too few people to eat from one lamb, that's in the Chumash, it's telling us that the simple meaning is to gather a few people to eat from one Kobram Pesach. But it makes a drosha. What does it mean if the numbers are diminishing? That you can, people can withdraw from the group of part of a Kobram Pesach as long as you have one of the original members as part of it. Again, so if you have, let's say, five people registered to a Korban Pesach, four of those can decide to say, look, we're going to go join another Korban Pesach. That's fine. But as long as you have that one remaining person, if you would have no one remaining from the original Pesach, even if 400 people subsequently joined him, it would be invalid. Rabbi Yoisi, Omer, Pesach, And Rabbi Yoisi says, as long as you don't Leave the Pesach as it started, I without owners. Arabiosi says you don't need someone from the original group as part of the Korban Pesach. You just have to make sure that at every moment in time from when people registered to a Korban Pesach, you always had people registered to the Korban Pesach. Yeah. Now why does this not fit in with uh, Mishnah? So again, um, it's hard because we haven't done the mission inside in today's daf. It was from yesterday's daf. But in short, there's a case. What happens if you have two people and they get their Korban Pesachs mixed up? So what did it suggest? It suggested get two new people. Each person chooses one person to join them. And they go by one of the Korban Pesachs and they say, if this is my Korban Pesach, then obviously that's not mine. And you were part of this Korban Pesach. And... If, he says, if it's not my Korban Pesach, well, I withdraw from the other one and I join yours. Which now if you look, and they each say that. So now if you look what's happened, you have the two new guys that they each joined to their Korban Pesach might be the only, the original, not, he's not an original member because he just joined. You were the original member. And when you said, I withdraw from that Korban Pesach, who's remaining on that Korban Pesach? 
the second guy who joined, not the original member. So this doesn't seem to be like Rabbi Yehuda, who holds that you have to have one of the original members. So I'm Rabbi Yochanan, I feel you Rabbi Yehuda. Now Rabbi Yochanan says you can say it's Rabbi Yehuda. He says no. Since Rabbi Yehuda says elsewhere, it was um, about almost 10 days ago, that if you have, you, sh- you always have to have a, ideally you have to have a minimum of two people registering to one Korban Pesach. You shouldn't have one person. Therefore, if only one person registered to a Korban Pesach, and then a second person joins him, they both considered original members, because that's the ideal way to do the Korban Pesach. So therefore, our Mishnah fits in with Rabbi Yehuda, because when this guy, when you who got your Korban Pesach mixed up, says to another person, join me on my Korban Pesach, since he's the second guy to join, he's considered an original, mem- uh, an original member. Yeah, okay. is considered one of the original group. If you read the Mishnah carefully, you can deduce it as it teaches. The Mishnah says it would be the same if you have five groups of five people in each group. What did it say happens? One person from each of those five groups join another person from each of those five groups. So what do you have? You have Definite, so you've got five Korban Pesachs and five groups of five people. So they each go to a Korban Pesach and they can each say, if this is my Pesach, then good, I'm staying with it. If one of those other four were my Pesach, I'll withdraw from it. But now there's definitely, since five people, they each join one person from one group to form a new group of five, you always end up with having one original member. And that's what Rav Ashi's diok is as follows. This only works, this solution only works when you have five people in each group. But if there are four people in some of the groups, it won't work. Because you won't, when you start mixing up the groups, you won't end up with one person from each group. Now, why won't that work? Is it not because you won't have someone left over from the original group? It's conclusive. So that seems to be, um, so our Mishnah does fit in with Rabbi Yehuda. Again, the principle that this Bryce is teaching, which was essential to understanding the Mishnah, is that there's a halach according to Rabbi Yehuda, that you have a group signed up to a Korban Pesach. It's fine until the Korban Pesach is shechted, or according to even an, an opinion, till the, the blood is sprinkled, people can withdraw from that Pesach and join another Korban Pesach. However, for that actual Korban Pesach to be valid, you have to have someone from the original group signed up to that. Rabbi Yossi says, no, you don't have to have someone from the original group signed up, but you always have to have at least one person registered to a Korban Pesach. If everyone would withdraw from a Korban Pesach, let's say you had five people part of one Korban Pesach and they all decide to join another group, then that Pesach, even if a minute later a whole group of people registered to that Korban Pesach, it's already possible because it had a moment without our owner. That was the Machloikas. Hadron Olach Mishihoyo Tomei Veslikalon Pesach Sheni. Hadron Olach Mishihoyo Tomei Veslikalon Pesach Sheni. Hadron Olach Mishihoyo Tomei Veslikalon Pesach Sheni. Just an interesting note. What do we mean we finish here Pesach Sheni? So the simple thing is we finish the laws discussing, we know there's Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. But as I pointed out at the beginning of the Masechta, the Meiri says very interestingly, he says, 
Why is this? He says there's actually two parts to Pesach. There's the things to do with the halachas of Pesach that apply every single year. year. Chometz, Matzah, the tenth parak that we're going to go into now, which is to do with the night of the Seder. Those are relevant to every single year. And then there's the whole middle part of this Masechta, Perek uh, Dalet to Perek Tes, uh, 4 to 9, which discusses the... Um, the Korban Pesach, obviously the Korban Pesach Rishon and the Korban Pesach Shani. And he says actually in, um, they were originally viewed as two separate Mesechtas. Chapters 1 to 4 and 10 was one Pesach Rishon and chapters um, 5 to 9 were, um, were, Pesach, were called Pesach Shani. And that's what he's saying. We've just finished Pesach Shani. And he says that's why the Masechta is called Psachim. Psachim is plural. It should have been Maseches Pesach. Like we find Maseches Sukkah. We don't say Maseches Sukkos or Rosh Hashanos. Rosh, or Rosh, sorry, Rosh Hashanim. We say it's all that singular except Psachim. It's because there are these two parts to the Masechta. Okay, so that was interesting. And now we're going to start... The final peric, which I sent a message out, but I found it. It's, an, it's a, a peric filled with practical halachas. Firstly, it's all to do with the night of the Seder. We're starting from the late afternoon getting ready for the Seder, but it's all to do with the night of the Seder. And it comes in many practical halachas to do with uh, Kiddush, Kiddush B'Mokom Suda, and obviously all the interesting halachas and principles of the Seder. So it's a wonderful peric, and we're lucky we'll be finishing it about a week or so before actual Pesach, so this is a beautiful way to start preparing for it. There's also um, a drosh that says, For 30 days before the festival, that's when you start getting ready for the festival. One of the primary ways of doing that is learning the halachas, but at least this is getting us the halachas with the first half of the Masechta, but now we'll be doing the halachas of the Seder and getting ready for the Seder, so we're also fulfilling this which starts on Purim, because Purim is the 15th or the 14th of uh, Adar, and Pesach is the 15th of Nisan, so it's basically a month before. Um, so, I'll read the Mishnah, and then we'll analyze it word for word. Again, you'll see this peric is full of practical and rich halacha. It says, Erev Pesachim. On Erev Pesachs, Samuch Mincha, close to Mincha, Lo Yachal Odom A person shouldn't eat until nightfall. And even a poor Jew, every, every poor Jew, no matter how poor he is, he shouldn't eat on the Seder night until he leans. As we know, the mitzvah to lean while eating on the Seder night. He shouldn't have been given less than four cups of wine. Even if he's the poorest of the poor who are supported from it is a kind of soup kitchen they had, he must be given four cups of wine. Okay, so let's analyze this uh, um, this uh, Mishnah. So the first point he said, um, Tosos point out, there's different gears. Al says Erev Psochim. On Erev multiple Psochim, some, some gears had Arve Psochim. As you look at the top of the, the title of the page, that's what it's called. Arve Psochim, which means Erev Pesach. Whichever year you're discussing, it's discussing Erev Pesach. Erev Psochim, he says it would be the day, the evening when many Psochim would have been shechted. Okay, different ways, but interesting that just on the first word there's a Girsa question. Then Somuch Mincha, what does it mean close to Mincha? So Mincha we know we generally refer to as the afternoon. 
interesting enough, there's a discussion, not the right place to go into it, but to bear in mind that mincha literally generally refers to a flower offering. A mincha. Menachos. Flower offerings. So why do we call the afternoon tefillah, which is modeled after the afternoon korban, why do we call it mincha? Why do we call it mincha? It's a, it's a flower offering. You bring a mincha in the morning as well, and you, the main offering of the afternoon is a korban tomid. So that's one discussion. Um, just one answer to that is the Ramban seems to learn that it comes from the word, the, in, in this context, it's from the word menucha, resting. It's because the sun's starting to rest. So that's why the afternoon tefillah is called mincha. But strictly speaking, it's a tosfos discuss it elsewhere. Why do we find the afternoon tefillah called mincha? So that's what we take it. We, when we say samukha mincha, we mean the afternoon. Now the afternoon is split into two parts based on when the korban tomid was offered. Uh, um, the earliest it was offered, which was on Erev Pesach, was at half an hour after midday. So that's called Mincha Gedola, from six hours into the day plus half an hour. That's Mincha Gedola. And then there's Mincha Katana, which is nine and a half hours into the day. Okay, and that is, yeah, that's Mincha Katana. Mincha Gedol is three hours and Mincha Katana turns out to be only two and a half hours. I think that's why it's called the big Mincha and the small Mincha. But again, on most days, and that's why there is the Rambam brings it's preferable to Daven Mincha at nine and a half or after nine and a half hours into the day because that's when the Korban Tomid was usually brought. Um, but that's Mincha Katana. We'll see in the Gemara that we're referring to Mincha Katana. So when we say Somuch Le Mincha, just before Mincha, um, they point out Samuch means half an hour, 30 minutes. So it's 30 minutes before Mincha Katana, so from nine hours on the day. So that's when we're discussing this that you shouldn't eat is from nine hours in the day. Then we said, A person shouldn't eat, sounds like anything, but we'll come to that until it's dark. Firstly, um, Your first point is, why can't you eat? Why not? Why shouldn't you be allowed to eat late Pesach afternoon? So the Rashbam says, oh, I should have pointed out very interestingly, on, on, uh, in, in each page of Arve Psochem we have Rashi and Rashbam. The Rashi, I mean, we're familiar with, and the Rashbam is actually his grandson, one of his main Talmidim, uh, Rabbeinu Tam, another of the Balei Tosfos, his older brother, so this is um, the Rashbam. So we'll be using his commentary quite extensively. Also, Tosfos on Arve Psochim, interestingly enough, is often explaining it. We generally find Tosfos is taking it to the next level, analyzing it. And obviously, he does that in this Masechta as well. But there's a lot of explanations in Tosfos as well. But again, I think the focus on this year will be Rashbam, primarily because he's a little bit more elaborate. He's more elaborate than Rashi, which makes it easier. But often their commentaries overlap. Um, so as, as again he was a Talmud of Rashi so a lot of his thoughts and his halachas and his approach to the sukya follows Rashi he's just more elaborate so he says why shouldn't you eat uh, matz, uh, why can't you eat on late Erev Pesach so he says so that you eat fulfill the mitzvah matzah when you are hungry and he says this is a hidur mitzvah it's a beautification of the mitzvah that you eat it when you are hungry um, which is quite an interesting application of Hidur Mitzvah. We generally understand Hidur Mitzvah 
um, beautifying a mitzvah as you use a beautiful object. You buy a beautiful lulav and esrog. You buy a beautiful talus. That's the general. And, and here we see hidur mitzvah is even on, uh, on yourself. If you make yourself do the mitzvah in the, in the best way, it is considered um, hidur mitzvah. Sorry about that. Um, so I was just saying that uh, hidur mitzvah is generally on the object, whereas here we see it on the person. Rav Ashavas, I mean, we know what a phenomenal genius he is, but he says there's six times he has a, he has a commentary, a halachic, where he goes through the parishes and he bring out, brings out halacha from all of them. But he's one, he's one on Shmosh, he brings out, he says there's six times we find this, that hidur mitzvah is actually on the person. Not going to go through the six times he brings, but he says it's based on a Rashi in Yuma, which says the, he says it's doing a mitzvah in a nice way or making the mitzvah nice brings beauty to the one who does it. So I think that. So if you make sure to, I mean, this is taking it to the next level. Not only when I put in effort to do the mitzvah with a nice object, when I put in effort on myself that I'm doing the mitzvah in the best way it brings beauty to the person and that's a hidur mitzvah it's that it's, it brings beauty to the mitzvah and it's the most and it's a preferable way to do it so that would be the reason why you're not allowed to eat it's because of hidur mitzvah to go into to eat matzah when you're hungry and you want to eat it um the next point is uh on on this is uh what are you not allowed to eat tosos asked this question they're a bit bothered they said wait we can't eat from Mincha onwards. What are we not allowed to eat? Can't be referring to Matzah. Well, let's start like this. It can't be referring to Chomets because the Oraisi, you're not allowed to have Chomets from midday and Drabonin even a little bit before that, even about two hours before that. So definitely can't be speaking about Chomets. Maybe it's speaking about Matzah. So Tosos bring the Yerushalmi, which says that if you eat Matzah on Erev Pesach, it's like someone ki'ilu bo'ala risoso bepeis Chomif. It's like someone who... Uh, uh, yeah, quite a harsh term. Someone who's boil arusoso. Um, so you can't eat matzah on Erev Pesach. It says, oh, maybe you think it's referring to snacks. We're going to see a bit later in the Gomorrah. You're allowed to have snacks. You're allowed to have fish. You're allowed to have fruit and vegetables, etc. So Tosas is baffled. It says, what are we talking about that you're not allowed to eat from Mincha Katana or from nine hours onwards in the day? Okay, can't be chomets, can't be matzah. And you are allowed to eat snacks. So what's left? So it tells us very interestingly, say matzah ashira. Matzah ashira, remember matzah made with egg or matzah made with fruit. You can't fulfill your mitzvah of matzah unless someone's sick or has a very pressing need. You can't fulfill your mitzvah of matzah with matzah ashira. And therefore, it doesn't fall into eating. It's not chomets, it's actual matzah. Um, it doesn't fall into the isur of eating um, matzah on Erev Pesach because you can't fulfill your mitzvah with it and therefore you'd be yotze. Now this leads to a very pr- interesting discussion that's practical to this year. What do you do when Erev Shabbos when P- Erev Pesach falls out on Shabbos? What do you about, do about Se'uda Shlishi? Because generally you want to try to have three meals with bread on Shabbos. But as we've just seen what are you going to have? So your morning meal your breakfast or your lunch you can easily have with bread but what are you going to do for your afternoon meal you can't have bread you can't have matzah so so what you're going to do so according to this toys here and that's what the machaber paskins and brings 
is have matzah shira. Again, you'd have to have it before the ninth hour, but that's fine. So um, before approximately 3, 3 4 p.m., um, make sure to have matzah shira. But there are more comes along in Paskins like Rashi that says, granted there's no isukores for eating matzah shira, it is still also to have, oh, oh yeah, matzah shira, it is still also to have. So according to him, and that's the word the Ramor brings on the page when it's discussing what to do, um, the Ramor says, what, uh, says, says you can't rely on having matzah shira because according to Rashi, and that's how he paskins, he says you should be choyshesh for Rashi, you're not allowed to have matzah shira late, um, uh, matzah shira is, is still considered chomet, so you're not allowed to have it on from midday, at least midday onwards. So that's how there are more. So what do you do? So there are more interesting enough says, have, uh, you know, Bidi Evid, if you can't have bread at Surah Shlishit, have something else, have meat, have fruit, have something else to be Yoytze Surah Shlishit. Um, the Morgan Avram brings, that there's a Zohar that some people that brings, Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai used to learn Torah instead of having, uh, instead of having Surah Shlishit. Many, like the Orach HaShulchan, speak very harshly against relying on that. But maybe in a pressing situation, like when Shabbos is on Ere Pesach and you have no other way to fulfill um, Surah Shlishit, um, you should do it um, on, uh, you should, you should uh, rely on this, Morgan Avram, based on the Zohar, that you can learn Torah instead of eating Surah Shlishit. Um, the Mishabruk gives another solution. And I think, if I remember correctly from last time we have this, this is what most people encourage is to have two meals in the morning. You get up and you daven early, you have your first meal, or you have your first, you vas and you have your first course. You then bench and do something that's considered a hefsek, an interruption, like go for a walk around the block or something. And then you come back while it's still morning and have your second vas again and have your third meal. Again, all this would have to be done before about 10, 11 a.m. when chomets uh, becomes osu. So that's that's the... That's the solution, and if I remember correctly, that's the popular solution, not necessarily the most practical, because it's quite hard. You have to, again, you have to dive in early enough, and you have to fit in two meals before about 10 a.m. Um, so that's that. Uh, yeah, there are other solutions, but I think that's enough. So something to bear in mind, this halacha, you're not allowed to eat, as Tosos asked, you're not allowed to eat matzah on Erev Pesach. As we know, you're definitely not allowed to eat chomet. So how do you fulfill Surah Shlishit on this uh, on, on like this week when Erev Pesach is a Shabbos. Um, then Tosfos asks on the next point, it says, until it gets dark. It says, what do you mean? Why would you ever think of eating your su'udah before dark? So why does the Mishnah have to tell us you're not allowed to eat until nightfall? So Tosfos point out, he says, V'omar harimi kurvil, It's specifically by the mitzvah of matzah that you have to wait till nightfall. Because Pesach Matzah and Maror, the mitzvah is only from nightfall. But time Mishum and because the Pesach says, You'll eat the meat on this night. The Koban Pesach has to be eaten at night, can't be eaten a bit earlier, even though you've shechted it sometimes early in the afternoon. You're not allowed to eat it until nightfall. And Matzah and Maror are connected to the Koban Pesach. So he says, uh, so that's what, so matzah has to be, and this is unlike other Shabbos and Yom Tov. Generally on Shabbos and Yom Tov, you're allowed to bring in Shabbos early. You're allowed to say Kiddush 
on Friday afternoon, Tosefe Shabbos, and eat your Shabbos Suda then, and so too with most Yomtas. You're also allowed to do that. But on Pesach, you're not allowed to, because on Pesach, you have to make sure to do it at nightfall. Um, and that's, uh, so, so that's what it's saying, Ad Shetuch Shachya. And then we then let's the next point in the Mishnah was I feel honest should be sure loyal at Shistovev. Then it says he he must also lean. Um I even a poor person who's not necessarily having the easiest time must eat his or have his celebrate his Seder not like he's free, leaning like a king. And obviously then we said Oh, yeah. So that, and we said he's also, we have to make sure, no matter how poor the person is, no matter his financial status, he has to make sure to have four cups of wine. Um, Tosos, yeah, um, the interest question, I mean, this is a famous thing, but why are there four cups of wine? What, what, if you look throughout the rest of the Peric, and I, and I can't say with 100% confidence, but as far as I know, through the rest of Shas, it doesn't bring any reason... Why you have four cups of wine? All it just takes for granted that you have to have four cups of wine. And we'll discuss, we'll see when to have them and how to drink them and how much you have to have. But what's the reason? So there's the very famous reason. And that the Rash, um, the Rashbam and Rashi, they bring it from the Midrash. That corresponds to the four la- expressions of redemption. Vitsaisi, um, let me just check, confirm that I'm getting them in the right order. In two psukim it speaks about it. And I mean the different commentaries go into what are the four different um, what are the four different expressions, but uh, there are four dimensions or four expressions or four types of geula that Hashem did for Bnei Israel when he took them out of his tribe. And we have one cup of wine corresponding to each of those. The Yerushalmi over here brings a few other reasons. I mean, it brings that reason and it brings a few others. Just so when you start having some uh, divrei Torah for your Seder, you can uh, refer to this. Um, as we said, the one is corresponding to the four languages of Geula. Um, the second one, and I was trying to think, but I didn't come up with it, what's the connection to Pesach? But Yerushalmi says it's got to do with, it says Kos four times when the butler is relaying his dream to, um, to uh, about, remember the butler by Paro who was thrown in jail and he was telling his dream to Yosef. It says Kos four times there. I was holding my cup and poured wine into the cup, etc. Um, and that's, uh, maybe it's because that's when Yosef was, went to meet Paro and uh, I guess the start of setting up the the Geula or the Bnei Israel going to Mitzrayim, but it says cost four times there. So that was corresponding to him. A third one is throughout the, um, uh, sorry, a third one is that it corresponds to the four nations that subjugated Bnei Israel, Babel, Persia, Greeks and the Romans, the one we're still in. So I guess corresponding to this Hashem's redemption of us from all of those, we have four cups of wine. And then a fourth one is that, uh, yeah, in uh, around the Vim, you find it refers to Hashem as pouring out His anger or giving them their cup of what they deserve to these four nations. And we also refer to Hashem referring to saving Bnei Israel as giving us kosher the cup of salvations, etc. So it says that four times, um, to cor- and the cups could be corresponding to those. Um, and the Meiri actually brings that's why by the fourth cup of wine we say the famous age. 
pour your wrath out onto the uh, pour your anger onto the nations. So that's, uh, that's, he says, because that's what these cups represent, Hashem punishing the nations and saving the Jews. So that's uh, four different explanations of why we have four cups of wine. Okay, let's go on to the Gomorrah. We've actually discussed a very lot of points on this Mishnah, so I want to just mention very concisely the points that I've mentioned on the Mishnah, and then we'll quickly read through the Mishnah again, just so that we're holding in it because we've gone quite far out of the Mishnah. So, the, so we've discussed what time is Mincha. We've discussed why you're not allowed to eat so close to the Pesach night. Remember Hiru Mitzvah. We've discussed what you're not allowed to eat. We've said it can't be Matzah because you're anyway not allowed to eat Matzah on Erev Pesach. can't be Chometz because you're not allowed to eat Chometz from midday or the 10th hour onwards. Dorites and Drabonin. And it can't be referring to snacks because that you are allowed to eat. So that was another point. We discussed why specifically, um, um, why specifically does it mention at till nightfall? And we've discussed um, we've discussed four reasons for the four cups of wine. And one more point. I'm not going to go into it. But Tosfos asked, is this mitzvah? When, when, when the Sadoka, the Bale Sadoka, have to provide, so yeah, one more important point I left out. It said that it speaks from the terms of the Bale Sadoka, the, the Gabbai Sadoka providing the person with four cups of wine. One point Tosas go into is it just him, or does each person in the family have to have four cups of wine? Not going to go into that. But the Rashbam points out that, but obviously, if he he has to, if they, if the ballet stock, if people aren't giving him four cups of wine, he has to go as far as to sell his garments to be able to afford four cups of wine. Now everyone asks, wait, we find by these mitzvahs of Prisume Nisa, of publicizing the miracle, the four cups of wine, the Megillah, I don't know if there's much money spent on the Megillah, but I guess maybe to travel or something, the Megillah. Um, what else is four cups? Chanukah um, candles. All these mitzvahs that are for publicizing a miracle, they that we have a general rule on a positive commandment you don't have to spend more than a fifth of your wealth. But all of a sudden you have to be prepared to sell the shirt off your back to fulfill these mitzvahs of Prisume Nisa. So why is there a difference between all other mitzvahs? You don't have to spend more than a fifth. Okay, you're not going to go into how to calculate it, more than a fifth on your Lulav and Esrog. You don't have to spend it on your Tfilin, you don't have to spend it on your tzitzis. Um, but for Pisum and Nisa, you have to spend every last cent you have. So what's the difference? So the Avne Nazar says very interestingly, he says that usually when a person tries to do a mitzvah's assay and he can't afford it, he's always it's out of his control. So Hashem says to him, I'll view it as if you did fulfill it. He says, but with Pisum and Nisa, there's a different goal in mind. It's not just about fulfilling it or being considered as if you tried to fulfill it. The goal of Pirsum is to bring us bring about this pub, uh, publis, is to bring publicizing the miracle into the world that you and your family and people see and appreciate the miracles and can praise Hashem for the miracles that He's done. So no matter how much you wish you could do that, if you don't do it, you're not achieving Pirsum So therefore, granted by as much as you wish to shake Lulav, Hashem can say, okay, you can't afford it, I'll view it as if you sh sh did shake Lulav. But if no one gets the appreciation of Hashem's miracle, no matter how much you wish you did it, you can't view it as if you've done it. 
So therefore you have to go that much further to publicize Hashem's miracle. Um, Rav Soloveitchik gives a different answer. He says in these cases Hashem went far above and beyond what is expected. His chesed, his rachamim, was far beyond what was expected. By Pesach, the four cups of wine, by the Megillah, and by, by Purim, and by Chanukah. And therefore, we have to go above and beyond what is expected to show our appreciation. Okay, so let's quickly read through the Mishnah, and then we'll go into the Gemara. So it says, Erev Pesach, Somoch Lemincha. On Erev Pesach, just before Mincha, Lo Yechal Odom Ad Shetirshach. A person shouldn't eat until nightfall. And even a poor person shouldn't eat without leaning. He, he should not be given less than four cups of wine. Even if he's the poorest of the poor, supported from the soup kitchen. Now, my area Arab, the Gemara asks, my area Arab, Why are you specifying on Arab Shabbos and on Arab Pesach you're not allowed to eat by Mincha time onwards? It applies by every Shabbos and Yom Tov. The Tanya, as we learned in a brayser, a person shouldn't eat on Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov from Mincha onwards, so that he can enter Shabbos when he's hungry. That's Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. And Rabbi Yehuda says no. Rabbi Yehuda says no. He's allowed to eat until nightfall. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, even on a regular Friday and Erev Yom Tov, you're not supposed to eat late afternoon. Because again, you want to enjoy your Shabbos Suda. You want to be excited. You want to be hungry for your Shabbos Suda. That's part of enjoying it. And therefore, you're not allowed to eat. So why does our Mishnah come along and specify on Erev Pesach when it applies on every Erev Shabbos in Yom Tov? So, Amr Rav Huna loy tzricha el el Rabbi Yossi. To Amr oichav ha'hilech ad she'tirshach. Rav Huna answers that no, this, our Mishnah is even according to Rabbi Yossi, who generally says you can eat until nightfall. Honey mili ba'arvei Shabbos v'yomim tovim. This would be on Shabbos and Yom Tov, on Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov. Avol ba'erev Pesach mishum chiyuva de'matzah moide. But on Erev Pesach, because of the obligation of matzah, Rabbi Yossi agrees that you can't. Oh, so according to Rabbi Yossi, on every Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov, you can eat until you can just carry on eating until nightfall, even if you're not going to be so hungry for your Shabbos Suda. But according to on Erev Pesach, you have to wait. You can't eat close because of the obligation of matzah. I mean, you can analyze. So matzah is an obligation. Clearly, it's a mitzvah store. Is it not an obligation to have a Suda Shabbos? Why is this obligation? But I guess you could say Doraisa Draponon. You could say there are other ways to celebrate Shabbos besides just the food. Maybe, even though we see food is essential and some do learn it, Storaisa. But so you can analyze what's the difference. But, Rabbi Yo but according to this way of understanding it, generally on an Erev Shabbos and Erev Yom Tov, you can eat all the way until nightfall. But on Erev Pesach, which is our Mishnah, you can only eat until Samuch Lamincha. Rav Papa, Rav Papa gives a different answer. He says, I feel Rabbi Yehuda. You could even say it's Rabbi Yehuda. On Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov, it's only from Mincha onwards. Let's just, as the conclusion will be, from nine and a half hours onwards. Aval, but Erev Pesach, Afilu Somuch Lemincha Nami Osur. But on Erev Pesach, even Somuch Lemincha, half an hour before Mincha. So if you're dealing with the six to six day, basically what we're saying, on a regular Shabbos and Yom Tov, you can, it's only forbidden to eat from, from 3.30 in the afternoon onwards. 
Whereas in Erev Pesach, it's from 3 p.m. onwards. That's what we're going on. Now the Gemara asks, the Erev Shabbos, Samuch Lemin Shari, you're telling me on Erev Shabbos you are allowed to eat, from, I guess, from 3 p.m. onwards, which we just said you're not allowed to eat on Erev Pesach. It says, for Hotana, we learned in a Brisa, Loyachal Adam be Erev Shabbos, Vyomim Tovim, Mitesha Shosalamala. A person is not allowed to eat on Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov from 9 onwards. From nine hours onwards, Kadeshi Yikonis Le Shabbos Keshu Taivet Divrei Rebura. Nine hours, as we said, is Samuch Lemincha. So we see that in this brisa, which is more more clear, it says the time. Rebbe Yehuda is saying you can't eat from nine hours onwards, which is the exact same as our Mincha, as our Mishnah, which is a rejection of Rav, which seems, which is a question on Rav Papa, who said no on Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov, it only applies from nine and a half nine and a half hours onwards. So the Gemara answers, and sorry, just to finish the price, Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Rabbi Yossi says you can eat until nightfall. He says, Omer, Marhu, Rucha, Man, Leimelon, the Mitarzahi, Dilma, Mishta, Boshtahu. He says, Marzutra says, who says that this is the correct price? So maybe it's a mistake. Maybe Rav Popa is really correct and it's just a mistake. So Omer, Leimel, Meimer, Vitaimer, Rav Yamer, Ana Ikle, the Pirka, the Rapinchas. I went to the Shur or Rapinchas, Breder of Ami, the Komtan of Atani. He accepted this price. He took it as authoritative. Again, you can always debate with prices. Remember, it was all the Tanoim, the Amoraim and the Yeshiva, and they had mentioned what they had learned, but it was all the, most of the prices, which are Tanaic teachings, they knew off by, they knew off by heart. So once in a while, if a Talmud came and said, I heard this price, you could question how authoritative it is. Maybe he made a mistake, maybe a mistake crept in. But he's saying it was accepted in the Yeshiva. Ihachi Kasha. So you're right, that is a difficulty on Rav Popa. Again, Rav Popa wanted to answer that. The difference between Erev Pesach and Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov is that on Erev, pa on Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov, you're only not allowed to eat from nine and a half hours onwards. Whereas on Erev Pesach, you're not allowed to eat from nine hours onwards. The Isur is brought up an extra half an hour early. But we've just shown that no, both apply from nine hours onwards. So Ella Makmarta Kidravhuna. It must be like Ravhuna. We'll leave it on that point today. But basically what we're saying, our Mishnah which says you can't eat on Erev Pesach from Mincha onwards is necessary according to Rebbe Yoisi. According to Rabbi Yehuda, you're never allowed to eat on Erev, any Erev Shabbos or Yom Tov from nine hours onwards, you'd not be allowed to eat. But according to Rebbe Yossi, it would only apply on Erev Pesach. Okay, and we'll leave it there.